And it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker today, who, of course, is our own Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. And uh, we just spent a week on retreat in the same retreat down in Oregon and had a fabulous experience. And I know he's going to share that with you today. So here he is. Good morning. Wow, isn't that flute stuff great? Where'd he go? Is he playing with us again? Manus. He played underneath the prayer at the first one. It was like, holy moly. Yeah, there he is. I, I was kidding around. I said, you know, I'm going to go out and buy a flute immediately. And then I, he's selling them back there. So I went out over there and bought a flute immediately. I won't be playing it for a while in front of people. I just want to let you know. But thank you so much. So what I'm going to invite you to do is, um, if you'd like to stand with me, and, and as we, we sing our song and pray, please feel free. If not, please stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit, very room in this very room in this very room and so what I invite you as well as myself to do in this moment is to just simply take a breath one mindful breath out of so many. How many beautiful breaths have we taken today and not even thought about it? But for me, that awareness brings me to the back to the truth of my being, which is this present moment. I'm grateful and honored to be inspired and led and directed and guided to the awareness and the remembrance of who I am and whose I am. That there is a power and a presence for good that is, that is ever available in and through and as and within me and so what I know in that celebration and in that awareness is that there's something new and wonderful has an opportunity to be awakened to be developed and to be shared upon this planet just as our beautiful musicians and Manus who has joined us traveled for so many miles so many hours of devotion to his instrument to his music may all of us be inspired to model that devotion to our unique talents and gifts and to continue to develop them so that wherever we go we become an inspiration a gift and a joy so this is my knowing this day I know that for each one of us wherever we are on, on our journey that our continued evolution bit by bit moment by moment thought by thought breath by breath guides us leads us and directs us as we continue to nurture the highest ideas possible for ourselves for this I give thanks. I give thanks for this beautiful day, this beautiful intentional day where we come together 
As Dr. Ernest Holmes said, to learn how to think is to learn how to live. And I know that each one of us is guided in a new and powerful and deep way to manage our thinking, to take it into our hearts, and to live more fully from that. For this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Amen. I think Manus should just play for 40 minutes and then we'll go home. Oh, wow. Yes, yes, yes. Well, well, come on up. Come on, come on, come on. Diane, come on, come on. Come on. Let's, let's do it. Where's the mic? Oh, here, you can, I'll grab a mic. Diane has an announcement that she wants to make. Thank you. And I told her she could make it at the first service and I didn't and I said, okay, we'll do it at the second service. So this is Diane Romachuk. And Diane is, uh, been a, she's here usually for both services on Sunday. And she works for, go ahead. I would pray ACL for 20 years. For 20 years. Straight. She's never taken a day off. I don't know about that, but it sounds good. Anyway, and so the, you had a fundraising breakfast this week, right? Yes. Okay. And how much money did you raise? Uh, let me look in my pocket. Okay. We made one six three zero zero zero. $163,000 <laughs> at their fundraising breakfast this week. Yes. I was up early in the morning, too. <laughs> I was, um, Captain Norm, um, Diane, um, many people uh, came to our ACL breakfast and it was over I don't know how many people over four, I think it was over 400 people for ACL awesome okay thank you sweetheart You're congratulations welcome. okay thank I think you should invite those 400 people here for a Sunday morning. <laughs> huh? We could team up. I'll, make, I'll cook the eggs. I am a heck of an egg cooker. So, but I, I wanted to get that, because uh, otherwise I get going and I forget. And, and Diane, I, I told her I would do that, and she wanted to share that good news and, and celebrate that. So it's a wonderful thing. So uh, as Reverend Connie uh, mentioned, we were at a, um, a retreat for the week, and it was wonderful, it was deep, it was powerful, and uh, just a, an honor to be with uh, uh, like-minded individuals in, in deep spiritual practice. Uh, and, and I wanted to, ro I'll roll a little bit of that into what I have to share today, but I, I've been really drawn to this book called Mindsets. We do not have it in the bookstore, just to save... Sharon Bosman some time back there, she comes out and says, do we have that book back here yet? Says, no, Sharon, we don't, and probably won't. But um, what we find for people is it's much more cost-effective to order it online or find it somewhere else. It's because by the time we order five or six books, it's usually not, not uh, an efficient strategy for us. But anyway, um, uh, with that, it's by Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. And it talks about mindsets, and, and so one of the chapters in it is where do our mindsets come from? And mindsets are simply, there are two categories. One is that we have a fixed mindset, and one is that we have a growth mindset. And so when we have a fixed mindset, we have all the answers. Nothing can, can, can change it. I know who I am. I know, you know, you know anybody like that? That's got all the answers? And if you ask them, they'll give you your answers too. Someone said to me going out the door that, you know, if you don't live your dream, someone else will hire you to fulfill theirs. I thought... Good point, yeah. 
But, or the growth mindset. And so where do these mindsets come from? Well, they come from teachers, they come from parents, and they come from coaches, for the most part, is where we're influenced by this. And in this, this wonderful book, I just want to read a few little sections out of it because I think it articulates it so beautifully. And, and for me, this was such great learning because I have, have been in the opportunity to be parent to two sets of, of children, in a sense, of, from my first marriage to my second marriage. And, and so I saw this being played out, and it was quite fascinating because what I thought I was doing um, with, with our children in the, in the first marriage with the, our kids is we would always reinforce everything they did. It's always positive, 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 positive. And so what I realized when I was reading this is how I, I did the same thing that they're talking about here. So I want to share this with you. Messages about success from, from uh, parents, and there's three examples here. One is, um, is to say to your child, you learn so quickly, you're so smart. That seems like a positive thing and reinforcing thing to say, right? You learn so quickly, you're so smart. The second one would be, look at that drawing, Martha. Is he the next Picasso or what? And then the third is, you're so brilliant. You got an A without even studying. Sounds like good stuff for me. I could hear myself saying that to my daughter. My daughter was, was born tone deaf. She still cannot sing a lick. And so she would get up and she'd perform before us. And, and rather than tell the truth, we'd say, oh, that was beautiful, honey. Oh, that was lovely. And then we'd go outside go, oh my gosh, I hope she never sings again. And then she would go enter the talent show at school. And she said, you know, I sang for everybody. And nobody clapped. It was dead silent. And we're like, oh. So who set that up? Guilt, shame. Mm, sorry. So, because everybody has gifts. Just because you can't sing doesn't mean that you don't have great value and that you're... you're you know, as valuable as anyone else, just might not be your gift. But anyway, so what happens when kids hear these things? The things in the, the, third the three examples. You learn so quickly. You're so smart. Well, what children hear with that is, if I don't learn something quickly, I'm not smart. Second one, look at that drawing, Martha. Is he the next Picasso or what? And how kids hear this is, I shouldn't try drawing anything hard or they'll see I'm no Picasso. Third idea, you're so brilliant, you got an A without even studying. And the idea there that gets internalized is, I better quit studying or they won't think I'm brilliant. So it's very interesting how the subtleties of how we send messages, how we create mindsets. And so what happens is, Carol Dweck continues on the next page, parents think that they can hand children permanent confidence. I think I thought that. You know, just, I'm going to create permanent confidence. I'm going to empower this kid so much that anything is possible. She, she said, we think we can give it like a gift by praising their brains and talents. The problem is it doesn't work. And in fact, has the opposite effect. It makes children doubt themselves as soon as anything is hard or anything goes wrong. If parents want to give their children a gift, the best thing they can do is to teach their children to love challenges, be intrigued by mistakes. Enjoy effort and keep on learning. Such a great, great message. Because then we're equipping our kids to take on whatever shows up. And, I, and I, I just, when I read this, I'm like, oh my gosh, where was this book 30 years ago? I love that. It doesn't mean we don't love them, but let's give them the, the tools that they can use while they climb the mountain of their own consciousness. And it's not easy. You know, this, this, this spirituality stuff's hard work, don't you think? I mean, we, we sing the song, We're All One, and, and um, I Am the Living Presence of Spirit. We just got done singing those two songs. 
I was in the, in the back of the center, uh, the first service, and I was looking at the words, and I thought, if I was new here, would I, would, I, would I buy into that? If I didn't know anything about this group of people, these people are crazy. We're not all one. What do you mean? I'm not that guy. I'm not that girl. I'm me. What's all this mean, this oneness? I want you to just look over at your neighbor right now and look into their eyes. Just take a moment, hold their gaze, and then say to them, what are you looking at? It's the face of God. If you're new here for the first time, ah, probably sitting in the back so you can get out. But but what we teach is what what we teach. What Dr. Holmes and all the great uh, teachers taught is that, that that thoughts create. And see, change your thinking, change your life. I said it last week, I'll say it again. It's a great, it's a great uh, lo- slogan. You know, it's a great bumper sticker and it's a great, great uh, uh, thing. But, but I know people that have, that have changed their thoughts many times and their life hasn't changed because their thought doesn't, doesn't stay changed. So you've got to change your thinking. Holmes says to learn how to think is to learn how to live. You've got to change your thinking. That's one of the doorways to walk through. You've got to adjust your attitude and your awareness. But if you don't shift your vibrational frequency... If you don't, you don't shift the sum total of who and what you are, I can only speak for myself, but I've changed my thinking many, many times, but the results come out the same, and I realize that I have not changed that core, that core belief I have about myself in, in a significant enough way to shift the conditions of my life. So change your thinking, change your life is, is not the destination. It's one piece of, of, of many pieces. You know, it'd be like Manus getting up there and just, you know, for us, we come here and we go, oh, there's, we're all one. Whew, got it, I got that part of my spirituality figured out. Now I'm going to go see Europe. Ah. It'd be like Manus getting up with his flute and playing one note over and over again. I mean, and, and I'm sure it would be a beautiful note. But what makes, it, what makes it art, what makes it lift us up is the combination and the spaces between the notes and the artistry and the, and the life force that moves through him and all of the devotion that he's brought to his practice. So what he offers us, he lifts us all up. It's like, oh my gosh. Like I said, I got to go buy a flute. Then I didn't know he was selling them back there. So I already bought the flute and the CDs. Now I got to talk him into moving to Edmonton for about six months and giving me lessons. So I'm working on that right now. But uh, anyway, he just performed. He, he was... He was the, um, one of the, uh, playing with David Pramal at the Oasis Center last night. I mean, this man travels all over the world with world-class entertainers. And if you know David, she's got beautiful, beautiful music. It's just incredible. So it's no mistake that, 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 see, and what he's done is raised his artistry to the point where when, he, when, when an artist meets an artist and they calibrate at the same level, it's irresistible. Like, oh my gosh, whoo. The same is true of us in our relationships. If, if I'm in such uh, despair and, 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 and lack and limitation about who and what I am, what, what happens for me is I meet someone that is in the same level of despair, lack, and limitation as me, and we go, wow, this is great. We found each other. Let's share our lack and limitation together. Yeah. If we double up on this, we'll have more. We'll have more of less. I mean, that's the way consciousness works. I work with people all the time that, you know, I want more love in my life. Well, are you willing to be more loving? Well, no. I was hoping that whoever I was going to hook up with would be more loving. I'll just stay the way I am. Okay, but I don't think it works that way. So the mindsets that we have, but see, it's possible for all of us. Holmes didn't say to learn how to think, to learn how to live, is, is re- keep reinforcing the way you think all the time. 
get better at thinking harder about the stuff you have now. It's about examine it. Look at it. Does it work for you? Is, that, is it creating the conditions in your life that are, are, are guiding you and moving you in the direction that you long to experience? You know, I know I, you know, I play with the guitar a bit and I've gotten better and better over the years, but it's bit by bit. It's note by note. It's hand position by hand position. And it's, 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 it, it takes devotion and it takes discipline. So what the mindset is that we don't give our children permanent confidence like a gift by praising their brains and talents. But what we can do is say, man, look at, you're taking on this project. Look what you're going to learn doing this. Look how this will stretch you and grow you. This, when you're up against an obstacle or you've been disappointed, it's not about uh, quitting. It's about looking at how you can tap into those inherent gifts that you have and develop them and nurture them and move yourself forward. And it's such a beautiful, simple perspective. But then our language is one of love. She, she continues here, to, learn, to love learning, to eventually learn and think for ourselves. See, the spiritual path, it would be great if there were one way. Go home, do this for six weeks, call me when you're done with that. Now you've got six more weeks of doing this and then call me back. You know, have a meditation practice in your life, great. Have a prayer practice in your life. We teach affirmative prayer. It is a sacred ancient tradition. Mystics have been doing it for years. The first step is there's one life, God's life, my life now. That's a huge declaration. There are a lot of people on this planet that are not able to articulate nor own that. And it's, it, brings, it, can, it can create trembling for some people, but it's the truth of our being. So when we stand in that, it's not an egoic personality presence, it's the presence of love that we are. We plant ourselves on this earth and realize that God is present here and now. It becomes sacred. It lives deeply in us. My journey of, 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 on my own journey, spiritual journey, has just been one of discarding and discarding and discarding and discarding so that I can stand more clearly in that and, and that that presence can live more d- deeply in me. And, and, so, and it's not to tell you that, that you're doing anything wrong or that you have missed an opportunity. What it is is that I think when we come together and we sing we are one and we are the living presence of spirit and then for us the doubt seeps in and go, I don't really feel like I'm one and I really don't feel like I'm living the living of spirit and this is a great idea but I don't know if I can embody it and live from it. And, I, and, and that, that perspective of thinking reflects that fixed mindset where the growth mindset is this is possible for me. I'm going to get up and I'm going to do, I don't, I've never meditated, I'm going to do five minutes of meditation today. And I'm going to sit for five minutes. Whatever comes up, I'm going to sit with it. That's meditation. Whatever comes up. People come up to me all the time. I I can't meditate. It's too uncomfortable. But meditation is sitting in the discomfort and allowing yourself to just settle. It's just ideas. Behind every feeling is a belief. Behind every feeling we have is a belief. And, and they shared it at the retreat we were at. They said, the problem with, with the Western culture is we think our feelings represent God. We think our feelings are God. Our feelings are just our feelings. And I've, I've done this with you. I mean, maybe you don't do it, but I've done it. You know, I feel a certain way. It's God in my life. That's just my perception. And so when we, when we realize that it's possible for us it's possible for us to have a deeper, more profound experience of spirit in our lives. It doesn't mean we have to quit our jobs. It doesn't mean we quit our relationships. It means that we continue to deepen, and then everything we're involved with becomes different. And so what happens, I've said many times, you know, we have the second kingdom of consciousness that most people in the West are in, which is manifestation, 
acquisition, pushing, uh, finding enough courage in our life to say, I'm going to live my own life the way I want to live it. And it takes a lot of courage to say that. But to move into the third kingdom is, is all of the tools we use there don't apply. It's gratitude and forgiveness. Gratitude and forgiveness and surrender. And we think, well, I don't want to give anything up because I, I spent a whole lifetime acquiring. But what, what we have in our lives right now are crumbs compared to what's available to us. See, we think we're going to give something up that's really precious when we realize that I'm hanging on to, I'm hanging on to morsels over here And if I move into the third kingdom, everything that opens up for me is so beautiful and wonderful beyond my expectation, beyond what I can imagine because I'm no longer doing it on my own. I am stepping into true co-creation with spirit. But that's the the spiritual path. Doesn't mean we don't have homes and cars and relationships. It's just that we we shift our perception and our attachment to those things. And we step into such a a full-orbed experience of abundance that everything is sacred. And everywhere we look, it's divine. That's what we're talking about. That's what, Holmes, that's what Ernest Holmes was talking about. He spent a career trying to embody the Christ consciousness. When I was at the retreat this, um, this last week, I raised my hand because I said, you know, I'm not even sure if the historical Jesus lived. I mean, I love the idea of the Christ consciousness, but I've read so much, and I'm not even sure if people are just making the story up to represent that, that quality. And one of the people there, another minister was there, and he said, Joseph Campbell, wonderful, wonderful educator, has written an amazing material and was on PBS with Bill Moyers. He's no longer with us in form. But he said, just because something didn't happen doesn't mean it's not true. Oh, thank you. Now, I believe, there was a, I believe that there was an itinerant preacher that came along and, and was, was, was propelled into the experience of, of the, his oneness, his sonship, with God. I believe that a lot of those things happen. I also believe that along the way the story's been altered and shifted and changed, but I think the essence of what he represented is alive for us. Because then the other issue I had was the Apostle Paul. I just finished reading the book Zealot, and in Zealot it says that Paul was making stuff up, that, that Jesus' brother James uh, kept bringing him back to, to uh, Jerusalem and saying, you've got to stop talking like this. You're making stuff up. Jesus didn't teach that. Well, Paul was having his own Christed experience. And that's what he wrote from. He wrote from that experience that Holmes talked about. So once I got those two pieces, I'm like, oh, I get this now. Now I can settle in this because I was wrestling with it since I read that book. But the point being, so I had, to, I had to chew on that. And it was good for me to chew on that. It was good for me to live in that confusion. And, I, and then what I do is I take it to my prayer chair and say, what's for me to know here? Because this, this, this thing going on in my head is not serving a higher purpose. And what is it for me that's got to figure this out? Why do I have to know that? What is this about my resistance? But yet I found what I needed. I got the information. I got the guidance so that I could make peace with it. And I could put it in. Now I put it in a a compartment. It's on a bookshelf in my thinking. And it feels good there now. I understand it. Just because something didn't happen doesn't mean it's not true. So in other words, I don't have to worry about it all being factual. I just have to simply take from it what I can use, which is what Holmes said. Take what you can use. Leave the rest behind. Which is one of my things I love about Ernest. So we, we teach this oneness. We teach this idea that we're all connected. And we are. Your good is my good. When you're suffering, I get it. Energetically, we pick it up. We share that. But I don't want to share that with you. I want to live more and more deeply from spirit. I want to live more and more deeply connected to the, the God that I know. The living spirit within me and the living spirit within you. And, and so, when we, but when we teach oneness... I spent many, many years in a cabinet shop 
building things. And, and so when I was standing back there today and listening to the words of the songs, I realized that it's true we're all one, that we are the living presence of the Spirit. But the identification is not the manifestation or the realization or the application of that idea. It's just simply an idea. And like ideas, they can float into our awareness and they can float right out. So what, what our opportunity is, and I, I, and I will use the correlation with, with a cabinet shop, is every time I would take on a project, I would have a pile of wood, twisted, and, and, and there, weren't, there would be one finished edge, and the rest I would have to put a, a, I'd have to finish. So I would go about the business of doing that, knowing what pieces I needed, what sizes, and, and, I, and, and over time you develop uh, certain practices that help move that along quicker. And I realized that all of us are that pile of wood in our oneness. All of us are, are the potential to be something quite beautiful. And we're all at different stages of that. But just the idea that we're all this unfinished pile of wood is just an idea. And it, and it is to live intentionally. It is to, to look at areas in our lives where, I can, where, where things are not working well, which is actually where the juicy stuff is, where it's actually where we get to dive in and, and develop proficiencies that will help us bring greater awareness and, and a greater expression of life to that. And so then it's shaping our consciousness, our spiritual practice, and we do that through spiritual practice. We do that through, through doing things consistently that lift us up. So if you're, if you're lifted up by music, if that's something that really speaks for you, you go over after service and you buy some uh, Manusa's CDs or you have CDs at home that you love, or you know that it's yours to learn how to play the flute, or you know it's yours to whatever it may be, so that becomes part of your spiritual practice because you resonate with that. You come and walk our labyrinth, walking meditation. You sit in, in, in silent meditation. You learn affirmative prayer. The reason we teach affirmative prayer in all our classes is what happens when you learn how to do affirmative prayer, when things start happening in your life, you don't run with them. When things are starting to show up in your life that don't work for you, you don't put more and more worry and concern into them. You say, I got a spiritual practice here. I don't accept this in my life. I'm starting to hate somebody. I'm starting to not like somebody. See, those are our neighbors and they tempt us to, to not like them. They tempt us not to love them. That's their job. Once we understand, I go, oh, I get it. There's so-and-so that's tempting me not to love them. What's alive in me that is incomplete that is, being, is reacting to this? And that's deep, deep spiritual work. And so to, to be about that business is just powerful and wonderful because then we can take that, 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 that raw material that we are that, that potentiality that we are, and we, and we decide we create a design within our minds based on the qualities that we'd like to express. I want to show up in the world and I'm in the presence of unconditional love. How do I get there? Well, there's ways to get there. We have written material. We didn't just climb out of the trees and say, let's figure this all out together. We are gifted by generations and generations and generations of, of development of fixed mindsets and growth mindsets that have brought us together. And I'm speaking to a room full of people that, are, that support growth mindset. And so it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful opportunity. And our challenges are those things that propel us forward. Our hard knocks are the things that force us to grow. One of the, one of the extreme challenges in it is the practice of forgiveness. And I'm always drawn to this, and you hear me talk about it at nausea many times, but it is such a rich, powerful, amazing practice. 
Forgiveness, I heard this at the retreat and I brought back some pages from it because it's right in, it's always in Marsh and Lloyd's material. And forgiveness is one of the tools to step through to the third kingdom of consciousness, which is co-creation so that I can let go of the crumbs that I'm hoarding and move into a fuller expression of life. And it's a journey. And just like a fixed mindset for us to say to one another, look what you're doing. What are you doing better today that's moving you in that direction? Yesterday I meditated for 20 minutes. Tomorrow I'm going to go 21. I'm going to do affirmative prayer in the morning and before I go to bed. And who knows, before you know it, you're doing one right in the middle of the day too. And you're pulling yourself out of the race consciousness, which will tell you there's lack and limitation. There's a great article in the Edmonton Journal yesterday about Steve Mandel, the, the, the mayor that's stepping down. And he talks about his mindset when he came to be mayor. I loved it. It was an example of, of, of a learning uh, mindset. And he said, when I got here, I was, I was, I'd been 40 years surviving. And he said, I was tired. It's hard, it's hard struggling. We know what that's like and surviving and working. And he said, you know, my mindset was, I'm not, I don't want to spend any money. I'm going to become a counselor on this, on this uh, uh, mayoral city council. We're not going to spend any more money. Is what I'm, I, and this is my interpretation of what he has to say, but basically it was like, you know what? I know how hard it is. I'm here to protect what we got. And he said, I got into office and I started listening to the opportunities and I started seeing what the city was looking like. And he said, I realized that this mindset of lack and limitation was not allowing this city to be what the city was wanted to be. I've been to some world-class cities in the world, and to be able to step onto something that transports everyone, we were just in Portland last week, and we were really early. And so I said to Laura, let's get that light rail train and go downtown Portland and just check it out. We had several hours to wait. For $2.50, we got on, and we went downtown, and we checked it all out. We've seen downtown Portland. We stopped and had lunch. We got back on the train and went back to the airport, waited for the shuttle. I thought, isn't this beautiful? Didn't have to take a cab, didn't have to rent a car. And so here's Mandel, and, and, and he realized that this city is, is falling farther and farther behind. And he said if he listened to the naysayers that say, don't do this and don't do this and don't spend any more tax money on this and don't fix that and don't do this, he said eventually we'd have no city at all. And he said, I have to ask myself, why am I here? Am I here to serve my own, my own needs or am I here to serve the greater good? And so you see the things that are arising. I mean, there's a vibe in this city. There's an aliveness in this city. There's a development in this city. And it continues because it is the divine nature of the infinite to continue to express beauty. And if you doubt, and I know this in my heart, if you doubt it, just witness the young man that just played the flute for us. Beauty, it's heavenly, it's heaven on earth. And so we, we can, and, and it's not that we spend money we don't have, but it's let's take the resources and figure out what we're called to do here. You know, I, lo I love living here, I, I really do. And, and, and as I get older, you know, when I get to be old, like in another 40 years, I'd love to not have to have a car. Get on a bus and get on a train, go where I want to go, and it's over. Get back on the train, go home. Either that or make enough money to have a chauffeur, either one, but I'm just saying. But, but it takes vision to do that. It takes vision. I mean, if you've ever been to New York City, you can go anywhere in minutes. Minutes. And it's, it's amazing, the infrastructure that supports and so there's beauty and there's, and there's accessibility for people of all income levels and there's ways for people to access the art museum downtown. It's world class. It's world, that building, the architecture and what's housed in there. It's art to go in and, and revel in the artwork. It's just amazing. We think it's not important. It's not a necessity. Let's go fix potholes. We can do both. 
you can fix a pothole and still have beautiful art. You really can. You can have a football team that goes 3-13 and 13 throughout the year <laughs> and look forward to next year, right? Just saying. But here's Mandel telling his story. And I thought, here's, he, it cracked him open. And so they started talking about the things. He said, I'm leaving behind after nine years a legacy of things that I'm proud of. And he said, a lot of times I get confronted. I mean, that's a tough job. I mean, people come up and they're angry and they're upset because you pay and I don't want this and I don't want this. And he said, well, what do you want? Because he says, you're always going to have people like that. And I think it's a reflection of our consciousness as well. We're always going to have that voice inside of our heads that, oh, why bother? It's never going to get any better. You keep saying the same prayer over and over again, it never changes. Well, the reason it doesn't change is because never, it's never made the journey from the head to the heart. We've gone as far as we're going to go in our heads. So in forgiveness, the first, there's three stages of forgiveness. first stage of forgiveness is an apology. Somebody's done something to you and they've got to apologize. Or you've done something and you know you need to apologize. And what it requires, that stage, it requires another person. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever apologized or had somebody apologize to you? Okay, I'm the only one here. But anyway, it's, it can happen at some point in time. Second one is transitional forgiveness. It requires my intention. Why it's different is we, we forgive not contingent upon the relationship. So I can, I can, in my own prayer chair, I can do my forgiveness work. Even though the other person may still say, well, I hate you. But it does, it's not contingent upon that. It's called transitional forgiveness. But what it does, see, there's a sweetness in forgiveness. And what it does is when we move out of that dependency on one another for forgiveness to this awareness about it's my opportunity, I forgive not because I'm looking to validate the relationship. What I'm looking to do is open myself up in, in the peace and the love that that brings me to, regardless of what's going on with the other person. And then the true forgiveness is called gratitude. True forgiveness is the graceful state of being that arises when we live in the perpetual expression of unconditional love. This expression will produce the quiet delight. Oh, I mean, when we listen to Manu's uh, flute, the quiet delight of deep gratitude in our souls. It puts you right there. That's what, we, what we're experiencing. Furthermore, when unconditional love becomes our natural state of being, nothing will ever happen to us that would create a need for either traditional or transitional forms of forgiveness. In other words, when we are feeling deeply grateful, only good things happen. Because that's the filter we see things through. And then it becomes part of our DNA. And it's not only in our conscious minds, it's in our subconscious minds. It's at the level of the soul. That's what Holmes was talking about. Could you imagine being the Christ consciousness and people found out? Could you imagine what your driveway would look like, your neighborhood would look like? There's Verania. Verania is the Christ consciousness. Everybody finds out they're going to come over and they want to touch the hem of your cloak. I mean, think about that. I mean, that's sort of this idea around John of God going down there. It's a, it's, a, it's a container of unconditional love. I've told people over and over again, it's just this amazing experience. But here's a group of people who have come together and done this devotional prayer work over and over and over again, which is the prayer of unconditional love. And so when you step into it, you're in the quantum field. It's no longer contingent upon place and, and, and uh, personality. It's beyond that. And, that's what, and, that, and that vibrational tone is what we create here as well. We just don't bask in it as long. But it's, it's available here as well. So in this, there's three stages of, of this forgiveness stuff, the trinity of forgiveness. The first stage is the, called the persecution stage. 
So, and this causes us to suffer. So when we decide to, to, to go into forgiveness, it becomes an act of self-persecution because it is so uncomfortable. I'm not forgiving anybody, but because I forgive them, it just creates such, un, such pain for myself. It's the first stage. And, and as Lloyd and Marcia say in this material from the co-creation, if we are willing to persecute ourselves through the activity of forgiveness, we, we will not be persecuted by others in the world. But even more importantly, when we persecute ourselves for the sake of love, we will be blessed beyond measure. So the reason that we're willing to step into it is for the sake of love for ourselves. And when we're doing our work in our prayer chairs, we don't have to play it out because if we're in that state of resentment, we're gonna keep bringing things into our lives that are gonna feed resentment. And then our life and that legacy of who and what we are, we carry with us everywhere we go. The second stage is called the enlightenment stage, which brings peace. Once we endure the suffering associated with the first stage of forgiveness, we enter into the enlightenment stage. And this occurs when the light of love, when the light of love dispels the darkness of our souls. It's bringing more light in. People ask me about Abhijani, John of God. They're always introducing more light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. It's letting more light in so we can let more light out. And then the resurrection stage, which fills us with joy. We encounter the sweet peace of forgiveness in that we think that this must be the end of the process. However, at this point, we have only brought an end to our suffering. In order for the forgiveness process to be fully complete, we must also bring forth some new outer condition that will glorify God by producing a greater expression of life. So it frees us for greater creativity and opportunity. So it's a journey. So it's not just about apologizing. It's not just about, I don't want to do this, this forgiveness work because I suffer in it, but to realize the suffering is, to, is because of, we're so devoted to love that we're willing to put this smaller idea, this crumb down for, for a bigger experience. It was powerful and beautiful. It's wonderful stuff. And that's the business we're about here. Shifting and changing consciousness, the transformation of consciousness so that the world, so that we help create a better world. And we're doing that. And, and, to have the, and to have the tools in our lives and the awarenesses and the, and the mentors and the inspiration that show up. I mean, I didn't know that Menus was going to be here this morning. I walk in, I'm like, oh my gosh. I want these tunes playing when I, when I float into heaven to get my wings. They'll, be Manu, uh, you, they'll probably have you on CD because you're quite a bit. What are you, 19 now? You said 18, you wrote the song. He's 19 years old now. Anyway, so I want to leave you with this. This is something I shared. I didn't share that at the first service, so don't tell those guys when you see them. But uh, Laura actually inspired this, and it's so sweet, and I thought, I want to share this, and then we'll, would you come up and prepare to do your song, and I'll, I'll lead in with this. It's going to be a little guided meditation. It's a few minutes, and it comes from a, a talk I did a few months ago uh, about the tea house in San Francisco, and I love their mission. It's to create peace through drinking tea. Their vision is making people feel good, feel healthy, and attain happiness is their bottom line. So transforming the world one cup of tea at a time. And here's a little meditation I'm going to guide, and then Manus will uh, do this beautiful song. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to invite you to put both feet on the floor, if you would, and ground your energy in your feet, which grounds all of us. Uncross your arms. Be available to the energy so you're sharing it all, not keeping it to yourself. So I want you to imagine that you're having the most delicious, wonderful cup of your favorite tea or coffee that you could ever imagine, and it is the right temperature, and it is just the right aroma, and it is just filling all your senses, and you are in your perfect place right now. Let this delicious cup of tea take you away from everything, filling you with calm and vitality. 
calm, and vitality. Let this infusion connect you to the farmer who handpicked the leaves, the barista who brewed the pot into your breath in this moment. Listen to your heartbeat. Feel that heartbeat. And in your mind's eye, look around. This is your secret garden, your secret cafe. You are immersed in it. And ask yourself, who do you care about? Who brings you joy? Who cares about you? Who cares about you? Who are we hanging out with in our thinking? Let's hang out with one another in our thinking. Who cares about us? And who do we care about? Nothing else matters. Can you slow down enough to see your life and touch the world? And in your mind's eye in this moment, extend love, unconditional love to those that you care about, to those that you love. So let's ride this wave of love, of clarity and intention as Manus takes us even deeper with his music.